You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News, and today we are going to try to construct the Pacers rotation for this upcoming season. 15 guys under contract in theory. They could have 14 of Kendall Brown's on a two-way. Either way, I think their roster is set enough, barring a crazy trade happening in the next month or so, to go through and construct what, given the Pacers roster, they their rotation could look like this season. And this exercise is always really interesting to me because I always end up surprised by a player or two that makes me enter the season going, oh, interesting, that guy might not play as much or that guy might play more than I had previously thought when doing the exercise last year. I found it really hard to get Torrey Craig on the floor, for example, when going through the Pacers rotation. And what ended up happening is Rick Carlisle opted to play Torrey Craig more than O'Shea Brissett to start the season. That ended up not being the case, but that was just an example of something last year that stood out to me when the early season. Jeremy Lamb played more than I had him in my projections last year. So just running through this can be helpful to see where it's going to be hard to find minutes and who's worthy of more minutes from last year because some guys played a ton last year, very injured Pacers team. Either way, let's jump into it. We'll go the two guard positions, do a little break, do the forward spots, take a little break, and then do centers and surprises at the end. The point guard spot was the easiest one. And what I'll do here is I'll go through the candidates and the minutes distribution I came up with. The point guard spot, the guys who could be in the mix, Tyrese Halberton obviously going to play a bunch, and then TJ McConnell and the newly signed second-round pick. Andrew Nembard in the mix for the backup minutes. Halberton played a ton for this Pacers team last year, 36 minutes per game. Now, I think context is important there. He played uh, mostly, not when he, right when he got to Indiana, but mostly in an environment where Brogdon was not playing in games, where their backups were guys like Kiefer Sykes, who was sometimes even not available. Um, they had cut Brad Wanamaker at that point, so their other they didn't have a lot of backup point guards at that time. You know, it basically was either Kiefer Sykes or Lance Stevenson, who was also getting minutes on the three. So they played Halliburton a lot. He played 36 minutes per game last season. That seems a little high just given standard wisdom of how many minutes these guys typically play, although not insane to me that he would play near that in many games if the Pacers try to get his development going or they're in the game and they would like to win. I, when I built this out, put Halliburton down for 33 minutes per game when the season is set and done. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty heavy minutes for a quality, high-quality starter. If he ends up being better than that level or the Pacers decide to go heavy on his development, maybe that gets up to that 36 number he was at last year. But with another young guard in the fold, they may want to develop a Nembard and TJ McConnell healthy now, which was not the case for much of last season when Halbert was with the team. I don't think he'll get quite up to 36. And then the other 15 minutes at that spot of the 48-minute rotation, I gave all of it to TJ McConnell, the veteran leader, the guy who can organize a bunch of young players, get them on the right spots, help them be in the best situation to succeed. Those are the only two guys I gave minutes to. That's all McConnell and Halberton's minutes were at those positions. I suppose they could end up playing together, which could move some of these guys to the two. That's hard to predict given what the fully healthy Pacers could look like, though. I thought that was pretty easy. Nembard out for now, but if he impresses in like garbage time or one of those guys gets hurt or he plays well just when given an opportunity, I think he could steal some or all of McConnell's minutes as the season goes on. They drafted him fairly high. They gave him a long contract, longer than McConnell's. They clearly value him to some extent. If he's able to play a lick and they would like to develop him, I feel like he could steal some of those McConnell minutes, but none of the Halberton minutes. Halberton's going to play an absolute ton this season. I feel like 33 might even be selling it short. 
that's where I settled on the point guard rotation. I thought that was probably the easiest position. Maybe center was just as easy. Power forward was pretty easy too, but those two guys seem like opening night will be the two that will be thrown out there by Rick Carlisle unless they fall in love with Andrew Nembard in training camp or McConnell is receptive to a more benchy, coachy escrow. The two-guard spot is was where things got tough. And look, I had this question on the mailbag earlier this week, yesterday's show, for those who want to hear more about my thoughts on this, but you know, who is technically your nominal starting two and three between Mather and Duarte and Heald? I would understand all those guys potentially being the starter. I gave them all minutes over half of the game uh, just to get them out there as often as possible and maybe make it a little more balanced. But I went with Matherin as my nominal two starter. Uh, and there's not an easy basis for a rookie on a, a non-contending team in Pacerland to go, hey, this is how many minutes per game this guy should play. When I was thinking, how many minutes should the Pacers give to Ben Matherin this season? You know, he can't play as many as Halliburton. Playing 30 is really hard for rookies. They go from a you know, 40-minute game to a 48-minute game, better competition, the conditioning's harder. So in my head, I thought 28 seemed like a good number to settle on, but I didn't want to just do it based on fully gut. So I went to last season's Pacers team and thought, okay, how many minutes per game did Chris Duarte play, right? They're, they're a rookie from last year. They're a lottery pick from last year. Lo and behold, that number was exactly 28 minutes per game for Chris Duarte as a rookie. So if Matherin maybe doesn't have, he doesn't have to be as good as Duarte was to play that much because the Pacers don't have as much winning expectation, maybe that number sneaks a little higher, but I think 28 minutes a game Seems like a good amount to get Mather in a ton of time, potentially get him in in a bunch of lineups against different units, but still not have him be completely overloaded by what he has to do, by the guys he has to play with. Then he has to be backed up for 20 other minutes of the game. And maybe if Heald's starting at the three, this will be broken or something like that. But I gave 15 of those 20 minutes at the backup two. And I'll talk about in the next segment or even here a little bit kind of how a lot of this is just nominal, like you're calling this guy the two, he's really playing the three, it doesn't matter. But I assigned 15 minutes at the shooting guard spot to Buddy Heald. He played a lot at the two for the Pacers last season, even really starting there for his entire time here down the stretch of the season. You can even say he started at the three if you wanted. At times, uh, next to Brogdon and Halberton, for example, I would not begrudge that. It doesn't really matter, it's splitting hairs. I think that he, as the backup two, will get a bunch of run with the bench. Uh, has a lot of opportunity to do so there, or if he ends up starting at the three, whatever, he could still be the backup to get some burn with that bench unit, provide spacing for young guys to play. But I did not give him all of the backup two minutes. I gave five minutes here to Aaron Neesmith. Uh, and I thought about giving Neesmith off his minutes at the three, but he's 6'5". He's not really hugely wing size, so it was hard to kind of break out what this could look like. So I gave two guys backup minutes at this two spot last year, and the Pacers were going about 10 deep late in last season, if you'll recall, with some of their second unit guys. When Lance was playing, when Gabe York was playing, that was really late in the season. But, you know, when Lance was a backup guard and Dwayne Washington was a backup guard and they had Duarte occasionally on the wing, but he was hurt sometimes too. But either way, they had a lot of guys getting in there to get reserve minutes at that two-guard spot or really on the wing in general. I think it's possible they tried to, to do that again. And Neesmith's an interesting spot. Third-year player with a fourth-year option for next year. They got him as a former lottery pick that could be a shooter in this Brogdon trade. Who knows how good he actually is? I think right now, tentatively, it's hard to say that he's a long-term piece with the Pacers, but you don't really know. And I think on a, on a team that won 26 games last season, it's imperative to try to figure out what he can be. And I assigned him more minutes than just five minutes as the third string, too. We'll get to that in the second segment. But finding him some spots in, in lineup versatile situations, uh, I think playing with McConnell could be beneficial for him to be set up well to succeed. 
If he can get out there with Heald and McConnell, so a well-spaced floor where he could cut, but also still spot up, would be really good for him. So I tried to find him some minutes in multiple roles, both so that he could play the number of minutes that I think makes sense for what the Pacers will want to see early in the season to try to figure out what they have with him, try to assign him to a role that makes sense and try to get everybody in the right spots, but also gives him some variety in who he's playing with and what role he's playing and who he's defending too. I think that's going to be the key part for Neesmith early. If the shot's not there like it wasn't last season for the Celtics, if he can defend, he can at least stay in games. He can be on the floor. You can give him a long runway to get better and grow with the core. If you have him out there defending twos at times and threes at times, you can really figure out where his niche is defensively, niche, niche, whatever, however you say it, and that will allow him to grow more or have more opportunities to see what he is. Now, if he stinks on defense in both spots and the three's not falling, it's only a couple minutes at both of these spots that you can assign to someone else. You can insert someone else into the rotation. He's a guy, him and Buddy Heald, and we'll talk about both of them again here. It's a small forward spot uh, in the second segment, but I think they're the two guys that their role interchangeability in Buddy's case is really valuable. And in Neesmith's case, it's really important to evaluate who he is on the current Pacers team and what he could be, ideally. So it's perfect for him to have that opportunity. And that's why I didn't just give all of Buddy's backup minutes at the two spot and split it at the two, three, like I did with Neesmith. And speaking of the three spot, let's just get right in to that small forward spot and the power forward spot, figure out what makes sense at those two positions. Before we do that, though, I would like to really quick talk to you guys about Bilt Bar, who are making the best tasting protein bars ever 100% covered in chocolate tastes like a candy bar protein bars but they're actually healthy and delicious they have a new cookie dough chunk puff flavor holy crap it's so good I already got to try them they're not quite they weren't released yet when I got them but now they're out and you can try them yourself at built.com uh, they have a ton of other good flavors the peanut butter brownie is my favorite but they have so many good ones some fruit varieties some marshmallow infused varieties some good s'mores ones oh they're all absolutely amazing what makes built bar great again not is that they all taste really good although they all do taste really good but also that they're healthy right the cookie dough chunk puff one that their new flavor 160 calories and 15 grams of protein it can be a snack it can be a meal supplement however you would like to eat it it's absolutely perfect 100 real chocolate collagen protein your body absorbs faster it's absolutely delicious. You got to try it. You can get a mixed pack with a bunch of their most popular flavors. You can get that new cookie dough puff chunk flavor right on their website, built.com. Go check them out yourself when you're checking out. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That promo code again is LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. Hey, for your second listen, Hop on over to Lockdown Warriors. Draymond Green wanting that extension for the Athletic. What's that going to look like for that team? They could get expensive very, very soon. They'll have it all for you over at Lockdown Warriors. Let's move on to the forward positions here for the Pacers. What their rotation could look like at those spots. Very interesting spots. More candidates here than there were at the guard spots, you know. Buddy Heald, Ben Matherin, the obvious two-guard candidates. And Neesmith can be a 3-2. Those were easy. The three... Kendall Brown's in the mix. Maybe Terry Taylor's in the mix. Maybe Brissett plays some three like last year. The forward spots in general were a little harder and less obvious. So I didn't give Duarte any minutes at the two. I'm sure someone has made a noise or already commented on YouTube about that. And that's because I view him more as a three. I think on this Pacers team right now, maybe not long term, but right now, he is taller than Halbert. He's taller than McConnell. He's taller than Matherin. He's taller than Heald. He's taller than Neesmith, right? All of their guys that that probably need to play are more one two than he, one or two than he is. He should be 
nominally a three or start at the three due to his height. And I say that mostly because he can guard opposing threes better because of that height. And so it makes the most sense to me to have him play the bulk of his minutes at the three. If you want to call him the two, I don't care. It's just a designation. But I gave Chris Duarte all the minutes at the three. 32 of them to be exact. A four-minute bump over his rookie season. Well-deserved, I believe, after how well he played. You know, some other young guys for the Pacers, like, or some other guys for the Pacers, excuse me, got about that minutes load last year. Karis LeVert got 31. Brogdon got 33 and a half. That seems like about what a starting backcourt player got for the Pacers when they were more healthier, at least on the healthier version of the team early in the season. 32 minutes made the most sense for Chris Duarte to me at that spot. I gave, again, all those minutes there, but if you want to slot him at the two, I don't I don't care. It's all it's all the wing to me, and that's why I put him there. And then backing him up, the same two guys that I had backing up Ben Matherin at the two spot with just a little different minutes distribution, right? So Buddy Heald, I gave six minutes here at the three, right? You could call him a two. Again, it doesn't matter. These are all designations that are just for the sake of thought, but he could provide some spacing, play next to some guards, and he started the three a few times last season for the Pacers. He knows how to do it within what Rick Carlisle wants to do. They'll be losing a lot on defense with Heald there, but it could allow them to get some more interesting and creative out uh, lineups out there. And then the other 10 minutes of that spot, Aaron Neesmith got those for me. So between those two spots, Buddy Heald gets up over 20 minutes, which he deserved. Even if he does have some warts in his game, played much better for the Pacers than other franchises last year, deserves... 20, 25, maybe even up to close to 30 minutes, depending on how things shake out. And then Neesmith now gets some minutes distributed to him between both the three and the two to, like I said in the first segment, get him out there, get him some variety, get him in lineup, see where he can be really good and helpful. So that means the two, three rotation. And now that I'm done with both, I can just kind of blend them because again, it doesn't really matter. Like who you're guarding is mostly how I define your position. If you're guarding the other two, if you're guarding the other three, Offensively, the roles can be interchanged. They're all similar-ish heights. It doesn't matter too much who you call what, but these two guys, some of these, two of these guys will be making up the wing spots. That's Matherin, Heald, Neesmith, and Duarte in some combination, making up 96 minutes between the two and three spots, air quotes, on both of those because you could call them either. So the power forward spot's a little trickier, right? Kendall Brown, for example, did not get any minutes at the three for me. It's, it's already hard to get the guys that I just gave minutes at the two and the three time. Terry Taylor, no minutes at the three. I don't think he belongs at the three, but in theory, his size suggests it's a possibility. O'Shea Brissett played at the three sometimes last season for the Pacers. I think he started a game or two there when they were really down bodies late in the season. Uh, you know, They have some options that weren't there. I mean, basketball reference said Brissett, and basketball reference for their minutes just does inverse height. So like the shortest players, the point guard, blah, blah, blah. But either way, O'Shea Brissett played one-fifth of his minutes in lineups this past season where he was the third tallest player. And two seasons ago with the Placers, 40% of his minutes he was the third tallest guy. And he even was in a lineup where he was the fourth tallest guy. He has a 1% of his minutes listed at shooting guard for the Pacers, right? So he has been on the wing before. Either way, that means someone like him and Terry Taylor have to get all their minutes at the four to get this going. So this is where things got a little harder. Although, it ended up the solution just being, this is where I think... The best player won't play is at the four spot. We already know one thing. Jalen Smith is starting. I think besides either Buddy Heald or Duarte, the starting five is pretty obvious. Halliburton, Matherin, check. Miles Turner, if he's still on the team, check. And Jalen Smith, we know publicly, stated by coaching staff, front office people, Jalen Smith promised the starting four role. That had to be part of the pitch to get him back to the team. 100% makes sense if they would like to develop him and keep him in-house as a former top 10 pick who played well for them. I get why they had to offer it, even though 
may not be the optimal role for him right now or going forward. But if that's what it takes to keep him, they absolutely had to do it. No big deal. No harm, no foul. We'll see how long it lasts. Maybe it goes for a long time if it's really jealous. Either way, Jalen Smith is the starter at the four. I penciled him in for 30 minutes at that spot. That felt a little aggressive, but if he's going to start at the four, you know, Sabonis started at the four last year, played 35 minutes. And then after he was traded, they started a variety of guys at the four. Sometimes that was Jalen Smith, who ended up at 25 minutes per game. For the Pacers last season, Brissett, who didn't even play in a bunch of the Pacers games, was only getting garbage time, finished up near 24 minutes per game, right? Like getting only five more minutes than that as the starter, named starter, permanent starter, seems very obvious. 30 minutes for Jalen Smith felt like the right number to pencil him in for, but I will concede that could go down to 28 very easily if he doesn't play well or if he's playing rockily or inconsistently, and then the backup's minutes would go up, and it could go up if he continues to shoot well and fit well with other players on this roster. So only 18 minutes at the backup spot. And I did not consider Kendall Brown. He's a rookie, but I did consider Terry Taylor. He definitely had some bright moments last year, more so at the five than the four. Showed that he's an NBA-level player. That's why the Pacers kept him around, guaranteed his contract. He will be with the team for another season well earned that said I still think O'Shea Brissett is better O'Shea Brissett can switch a little on defense showed two years ago he can shoot the three he's really mobile his handles better than Terry Taylor's if he if Terry turned out to be a much better shooter this coming season he could steal these minutes I don't think the gap between the two is very big but right now right this second I think I'd put Brissett a little bit ahead at that spot and so I gave him the backup four spot with 18 minutes but let me tell you when I get to the surprises of this exercise at the end Terry Taylor's name will be brought up quite a bit. So the four spot was was ended up being for me just a simple 30 minutes for Jalen Smith, 18 minutes for O'Shea Brissett. But that could pretty easily change. I think this is probably the, the spot where that I have the least confidence in of who the guy's minutes will be because of the following things. One, Brissett can play three, four, or five. Remember, he played five a little bit for the Pacers two seasons ago when they were really banged up and did okay. They ended up signing Amita Brima on a two-way because it's really hard to play O'Shea Brissett at the five a lot, but they got away with it for a little bit. Like I said, he played the three quite often last season. He can play three positions. He could sneak in minutes elsewhere. And Jalen Smith is obviously a guy who can play the five and the four. He could end up getting minutes at the five, and then he's not playing 30 minutes at the four. And then someone else has to get in there, whether that's Terry Taylor or Brissett or something gets shifted up. Maybe that means Isaiah Jackson's playing at the four. And we'll talk about him at the center spot in the next segment but there, there's a lot of interchangeability at this spot because those guys can play a lot of varying positions and so this could be a role where you know if one guy it, all, all it takes is one player playing a little less than i thought and you shift the pieces around or make it an 11 man rotation instead of 10 and boom terry taylor's in there playing he's your 11th guy or boom Brissett's playing 25 minutes or something like that i think this is the position i have the least confidence in even though as i constructed it i think that makes the most sense and when I went through the minutes at the end of the exercise and, and put them in order, I thought it all made sense. So I thought the minutes made sense, even though I stumble over my words right now thinking, well, how does Terry Taylor not get in there at all? Not that he's awesome and is worthy of, you know, a ton more minutes than maybe 15 right now, but he was really solid for the Pacers at times last season, really unique skill set. I think they would like to get him out there at least somewhat, but it might be hard given who they have. Maybe he could play some center, maybe not. Speaking of, let's close the show out final segment the center rotation and then who isn't in the rotation at all and what kind of surprised me in this exercise and what those surprises could tell us about what the Pacers rotation could look like next season let's do it thank you as always for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day hey for your second listen Locked On NBA hear the latest and greatest news from around the NBA 
talking about who might not make the playoffs, who did last year, the Warriors, all that. And yours truly was one of the hosts. So if you want to hear me talk about the NBA, that's the way to do it. Let's wrap up predicting the Pacers rotation, looking at the center spot. The first starter at the three, or the three, wow. The starter at the five, very easy. Pencil him in, pen him in, sharpie him in. Miles Turner will be the starter at the five. I don't think that's any secret. He could play quite a bit. No more Sabonis to take some of his minutes on this team, assuming Turner starts the season on this squad. He finished last season at 29 minutes per game. I think that number could very easily go up uh, as uh, with Sabonis no longer. In the picture, he played 31 minutes per game two seasons ago. Don't think it's hard to imagine him getting up to 31 or even 32. I put down the number 32 because, again, Sabonis is no longer in the picture to play with the second units and steal some of Turner's minutes or close games without Turner. Those opportunities will be no longer available. I think we'll see more Turner than ever before, both as a display of his skill set and to let him kind of grow with this young team. So I put him down for 32 minutes. That felt very easy to me, him being the second highest minutes guy. On this team, the backup five, maybe this guy ends up playing some four. Who knows? I give all those minutes to Isaiah Jackson, who I think showed enough promise as a rookie to earn all 16 of the rest of the minutes at the five spot. He could get some minutes at the four if Jalen Smith's minutes move around or if O'Shea Brissett's minutes move around. Who knows? But that position, those two guys felt easy for me to put on the floor. Turner is maybe uh, probably the Pacers' second most talented player right now behind Tyrese Halliburton. And Isaiah Jackson is a very promising player whose skill set and athleticism are unrivaled, not only on the Pacers team, but in general in the league. It's a very, very unique skill set he has, even though he's pretty raw still at only 19 or 20 years old. I can't remember his exact age at this time. Either way, those two should play. And the rest of the center rotation, Goga Batadze, Daniel Tice, don't have as strong of a case to play. But it was surprising to me to not have Goga play at all and not be able to find a spot for him. And in general... That was one of a couple surprises I had when doing this exercise. So first, let's run through the guys who I gave no minutes to. The easy two, the second-round picks. Kendall Brown, no problem keeping him out. I think he could, you know, if he impresses in garbage time or something or gets a two-way and is really good with Fort Wayne, could get promoted to a more usable role with the Pacers at some point this season. But when the season starts, I do not see him playing very often. And then Andrew Nembard, like I said in the first segment, could end up stealing some of McConnell's minutes if things go well for him in certain moments or there's an injury, but uh, I have him out right now. Second-round picks typically don't play a ton early in their career, although Malcolm Brogdon certainly bucked that trend. An ex-pacer who played a ton his rookie year. Maybe if things break the right way, one or both of those guys could play. The other three guys with no minutes were a little harder slash weirder to think about. Let's do the least weird one, but still a little weird one first. That's Daniel Tice. I haven't even said his name yet on this show. There's no argument, to, for me at least, to me at least, for him to play over Turner or Jackson, even if his screening would be really valuable for this team and as a veteran maybe could provide something that helps the young guys. But what is the what is the reason, especially if Turner's on the team, to have him out there? There's not really one. He, he doesn't give them more than some other guys or allow them at 30 years old to get the development time that they need. I, I didn't put him in. I didn't think that was that weird. But he's their fourth highest paid player. And he has some success in the postseason before. Like, he's a good NBA player. He's probably better. No, no, no. Let me remove the probably. He is better than Isaiah Jackson right now. He's better than Goga Batadze right now. But that's not what the Pacers should care about when constructing this. If you floated me the argument he's better than Jalen Smith right now, I'd hear it. He might be better than all those guys. But I don't think he should play for the Pacers. And I did not put him in my rotation. Didn't even really consider him for any spots. The two weirdest slash struggle guys for me 
that aren't playing is Goga, former top 20 pick who is deserving of time, but it's hard to kick someone out of the rotation to get him in there. And Terry Taylor, who I thought was good for the Pacers last year and has enough positional versatility to maybe get in there. He started seven times. He played over 20 minutes per game for the Pacers last season. I thought Terry Taylor I could find a role for, and maybe that is taking some of Brissett's minutes. Maybe that's Jalen Smith plays a little less or plays him at the five and Isaiah Jackson plays a little less. Maybe that's how they get Terry Taylor in there. But that would take it to 11 players unless someone that I put down totally doesn't play. I think the most likely guy to not play for Terry Taylor would be O'Shea Brissett. But perhaps if they do, Aaron Neesmith doesn't play. Or if he maybe they start the season with Neesmith in there, and if he doesn't impress at all, they, they give Brissett minutes at the three and then play Terry Taylor at the four. I think that would make some sense, too, as a way to get the right guys out there, get the right development sort of going. Goga, look, I think Goga still has a place in this league. Uh, and I think it could be with the Pacers, but it's, I mean, how do they get him out there? You know, who, who, maybe he should play over Isaiah Jackson. I'd be receptive to that to an extent. I think Isaiah Jackson will be better, uh, not too long from now, but I think Goga's better right now. I would understand Batadze being the backup five when the season opens. Maybe they can, like I said, with Terry Taylor, find Isaiah Jackson, some of Brissett or Jalen Smith's minutes at the four, if they want to get him in there and make it an 11 man rotation. Goga, I feel like should play. But he can't. It's hard to find the right minutes for him. It's hard to cut someone for him unless they just straight up decide he is more deserving of minutes than Isaiah Jackson. We'll see. But I thought that was the weirdest one. You know, Terry Taylor was the hardest exclusion because he was good last season for the Pacers. You know, nearly a 10 points per game guy, one of the most unique offensive rebounders in the entire NBA. Really, really quality player who still needs some work on defense, but is okay. Goga was good all-star breaking on, not as good beforehand. But it's hard to find a minutes, even as a former top 20 pick. And that's weird and difficult. And I think something the Pacers will have to figure out and answer, really, in front of a mic early in the season. What do you envision? You know, I'll probably ask Rick Carlisle this. First three practices, maybe even media day. What do you envision for Goga this season? How do you get him on the floor in a development position where he can be the best he can be? Because he's not really had those opportunities yet outside of Scantley at the end of this past season. And he was still fighting ankle injuries then that made it not possible. Perhaps playing with the Georgia national team as they host Eurobasket this summer. Could be an opportunity for him to get some of those minutes to get that development. You know, he hasn't been able to play in a single summer league his whole career, for example. You know, he's had a lot of untimely injuries. Well, Goga needs an opportunity at some point. I don't know what it is at the beginning of the season, but maybe he plays instead of Isaiah Jackson. I would get that. In terms of guys I actually put on the floor, you know, looking at guys like Halliburton, it's not really fair to compare last, minute, last season's minutes to this season's just because you know, like I said, they had a ton of injuries when he was here. Their rotation was super weird. Same kind of deal with with Buddy Heald. The guys whose minutes I did compare to last season, uh, who who were substantially-ish different in the minutes that I ended up for them versus last year. One was Miles Turner, who was at 29 last year and up to 32, adding three minutes with the subtraction of Sabonis. I thought that made sense. I didn't think that was that surprising. The other two, though, were a little different. O'Shea Brissett finished last season at 23 minutes. I think a lot of listeners know how I feel about him being a talented 24-year-old player. That seems like something the Pacers should try to pursue minutes for. But again, it's very difficult. Like I said many times, going through the four spot, going through the five spot, there might be some other guys that want to get out there and play and figure out how they can impact the game or be in the rotation or help the Pacers eventually win at some point. Is Brissett a guy who you can get a lot of minutes to? Getting him to 23 again will be hard. I ended up with him at 18, a five minutes per game drop from this past season and a seven minutes per game drop from his first season with the Pacers when he was really helping them down the stretch of the fanless 2020-21 season under Nate Bjorkren. That was one of the droppers. And then another really surprising one was TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell played 24 minutes per game this past season for the Pacers. It was hard for me to believe that number 
was that high, but it, it was. And he played a lot early in the season, if you'll recall. Like he was getting, remember that there was that stretch where he got like 30 minutes per game a few times and they won like five out of seven or something and he was their best player in many of those games. He had like a 21-point game against the Kings, I think. Um, uh, the 21-point game was against Utah. That's right, the Gobert shuffle game. He had 18 and seven and four in a win over the Kings. Anyway, all this to say, he had a really good stretch where he was playing a ton of minutes. And then when he closed the season, he was also playing a ton of minutes. But he played a lot more than I remember in a couple starts as well for the Pacers this past season. I had him nine minutes per game less than last year. He played 26 under Nate Bjorker two, two seasons ago. So maybe McConnell plays more than I thought. He has the engine ability to get stuff going and get guys moving. And maybe that means Halliburton plays the two, but then you got to slash Neesmith or Heald's minutes or you cut that guy out entirely. It's, it's really hard with McConnell. I feel like he's a guy who could lose minutes from this past season, but as many as he seems to be losing is interesting to think about and believe. And I think maybe something could give there. Um, but when it's all said and done, the minutes distribution is a 10-man rotation, Tyrese Halliburton at 33, Chris Duarte at 32, Miles Turner at 32, Jalen Smith at 30, Ben Matherin at 28, Buddy Heald at 21, O'Shea Brissett at 18, Isaiah Jackson at 16, TJ McConnell at 15, and Aaron Neesmith at 15. If you want to give Neesmith 10 and Heald 26, I think that makes a lot of sense as well. I leaned a little more towards development in this exercise. Let me know if you agree with how I structured this or how you feel like someone should play that I didn't give enough minutes to or if you think the distribution's all wrong or if the positions are all wrong because this is a tougher exercise than it's been in past seasons for the Pacers. Last year was basically Torrey Craig or O'Shea Brissett. Who's stealing those backup four minutes? This year it's way different than in years past in terms of difficulty and the Pacers' goals of do they want to get vets time? Do they want to develop as much as possible? Will really influence what a lot of these things look like. So let me know in the YouTube comments or on Twitter at TEastNBA if you would like to know more about this or have your own thoughts on this exercise. This podcast is at Pacers. If you want to follow me there, that would be awesome as well. Tomorrow, like I said earlier this week, before I scheduled like a dummy, James Boyd will be joining the show perhaps one of his last days with the Indianapolis Star. So I'm glad I can have him on one more time. While he's still on this Pacers beat, you don't want to miss it. So thank you guys a ton for listening. Hope you have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.